0: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Lighthouse Bible Church, both uh, in person and on Skype this morning. Do want to remind the people on Skype that we do record these messages. If you haven't already, please make sure your uh, microphone is muted. All right, let's begin by praying. Heavenly Father, we just want to come before you this morning and express our thanks and gratitude for all that you've blessed us with, none of which we deserve. It's all by your grace. It's all because of who you are. We thank you for giving us the Lord Jesus Christ when we were dead in our sins and that he was willing to go to the cross and die for our sins, for us. We thank you, Father, that after he was buried on the third day, You raised him from the dead. And now whoever simply believes in Jesus Christ as their Savior will never perish but has eternal life. Father, we also thank you for all of the blessings that you've provided us as believers, as your children, we thank you for every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We thank you that you've adopted us as your adopted children. We thank you that you've placed us in permanent union with your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and so many other things as well. We thank you, Father, that the Spirit dwells our hearts, dwells in our hearts. We thank you also, Father, for the Bible and for all the riches that are in your word about you and your son and about your, all your works and uh, the Holy Spirit and his works. We, we ask this morning, Father, that you would have the Holy Spirit guide and direct everything today. We ask that you would mentor each one of us through the Holy Spirit in our hearts so that we could understand and be ready to apply the principles in your word this morning. We thank you for all of this and we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we do pray. Amen. All right. A couple of announcements. We are going to continue to meet in person as well as on Skype now. I think it looks like uh, Omicron is uh, kind of going downhill here in Florida anyway, so hopefully that will continue. Um, Also, um, for those of you who may not know, um, Ruth Morrison, um, the Lord took her home to be with him this week, early Thursday morning. Peter, her husband, would like to thank each of us, each of you, for your prayers and support. Before she died, Ruth asked me to make sure that I would thank you for all of your prayers and support over the years as she's dealt with her illness. Please continue to keep Peter and his family in your prayers. Thank you. Okay, let's begin today by turning to the Bible, turning to the Gospel of John. We're going to be in chapter 7 again this morning, and we're going to start in verse 40. John chapter 7, verse 40. John 740. We're going to read the the rest of this chapter. We're going to focus on a particular statement in the middle of it. And it's the title of today's message. The way this man speaks. The way that is this man speaks. When the Lord Jesus spoke, he always made an unforgettable impression on people. They didn't always like it, but they always were changed in some manner or way. We're going to see today in, in the Gospel of John, beginning in chapter 7. How that was, and how the people reacted to what he had said on the last day, the great day of the Sabbath. So let's begin again in John chapter seven, starting in verse forty, John seven forty, and I'll read the passage. Some of the people, therefore, when they heard these words, were saying, "This certainly is the prophet." Others were saying, "This is the Christ, the Messiah." Still others were saying, Surely the Christ is not going to come from Galilee, is he? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the descendants of David and from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So a division occurred in the crowd because of him. Some of them wanted to seize him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said to them, why did you not bring him? And the officers answered, never has a man spoken the way this man speaks. The Pharisees then asked them, you have not also been led astray, have you? No one of the rulers or Pharisees has believed in him, has he? But this crowd, which does not know the law, is accursed. Nicodemus, who came to Jesus before being one of the Pharisees, said to them, our Lord does not judge a man unless it first hears from him. And knows what he is doing does it they answered him you are not also from galilee are you search and see that no prophet arises out of galilee the remainder of chapter seven which i just read to you uh, is about the reactions to what jesus said on the last day the great day of the feast of booths he spoke on that day And then the rest of this chapter records the reactions of the people. And there are different ones from from all the way from recognizing him as the Messiah to resisting him and to the hatred that we saw in the Pharisees this morning. Um, Let's go, go back and recall just a few verses earlier in John chapter 7, verse 37, what he said. What did he say that elicited all the reactions that we saw this morning in our passage? John 7:37 Now on the last day the great day of the feast Jesus stood and he cried out saying if anyone is thirsty let him come to me and drink he who believes in me as the scripture said from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water As we saw last Sunday in in these In this statement that he made, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. We saw that given the given the background of what the Feast of Booth celebrated, given the anticipation that it was there in Israel at the time that the Messiah could be coming at any time, given the surprise that that Jesus would stand up in the middle of this Last day, the great day of the feast, and say what he did. It said a great deal about who he is. Remember, we saw that this point, this meant he's the Lord God. We saw in the Old Testament how, how the one who will bring the springs of water. Remember, the, the Feast of Booths was all about water and how they thanked God for the rains, how they had the ceremony of bringing the water to the temple every morning. And here he is saying, if anyone's thirsty, come to me and drink. He's saying that I'm the fulfillment of what you're celebrating today. I am the Lord God who provides the springs of water for salvation itself. He not only said that, but he also was saying that he's the one who will pour out the spirit. John interpreted for us that by that he meant the springs of living water meant the, the spirit was going to be poured out. And according to the Old Testament, which would have been the thing that the people of, of, of Jerusalem, if they, if they had been studying the Old Testament, would have realized was that the one who pours out the Spirit on their descendants is the Lord, and that he would do that when the Messiah came. And therefore, the third thing that the Lord was saying was that he's the one. He is the promised Messiah, the, the descendant of David, for whom they had all been waiting. Now, it's interesting that that in the reactions of the people, After some thought he was the prophet that Moses promised would come in the last days. And others thought he was the Christ, the Messiah, the line of David, who would come, set up his kingdom and rule forever. But remember, that was that third group in the crowd. Now, not the leaders. We'll get to them in a minute. But the third group in the in the crowd were the skeptics. Right. We always have skeptics. And by the way, skepticism is something that a lot of people were thinking, but a few people actually say. I mean, if you think about it, we put it we put down skeptics, but we have to be honest with ourselves. And there's times, too, when we doubt or we wonder or we have questions. And they they were saying and it was an honest point, which was, hey, wait a minute. This guy's from Galilee. Oh, we know from the scriptures like Micah that the that the Messiah is supposed to be coming from Bethlehem, born in Bethlehem of the line of David. How can this carpenter from from Nazareth in Galilee be the one? Of course, what they didn't know and what we do know is that, in fact, Jesus was of the line of David. He was born in Bethlehem so um, so that we can see, well, that's not a valid criticism because, we know, he really was. But to them, they were very much, remember, centered on Jerusalem. They thought that that was the center of the world and anything else, even in Judea and definitely in Galilee, was secondary to the people and what was happening in Jerusalem. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me. Remember, we saw that when he's saying come to me, he's actually saying believe in who he is. These things that we just saw that he is the one who would pour out the spirit. He's the, the promised Messiah. He's the one who has the waters of salvation. Believe in him. And what from his innermost being, whoever believes in me, that, that will pour rivers of living water, the Holy Spirit whom would come. So again, some thought he was the prophet that Moses promised. Others thought he was the Messiah. And again, others were skeptical about him and that he could be the Messiah because of where he came from. Not only that, but some in the crowd actually wanted to seize him. They wanted to seize him. His words caused a division, therefore, in the crowd. Some thought he was the prophet. Others said, no, he's the Messiah. Others were very skeptical. Others wanted to seize him, to seize him. Now, John doesn't say who these people were who wanted to seize him. But we can surmise, if you look at all the other places in the Gospel of John where it says people sought to seize him, it was never, almost never for a good positive reason. It was because they they wanted to have him arrested and put to death. So the enemies of of Jesus were the ones that wanted to seize him so they could kill him. So you have the again, we've seen this before. You have this wide range of reactions to the things that Jesus said. We have all the way from he's got to be the prophet and the Messiah all the way to let's seize him and get rid of him. And then we're going to see next what the leader said, um, and we'll get to that in a minute. I'd like you to go back to John chapter seven. Look at verse 30 for another example. Another time, not too long ago from our passage this morning. When people wanted to seize him. John 7 verse 30. So they were seeking to seize him. And no man laid his hand on him. Why? Because his hour had not yet come. The father was not going to let anybody seize Jesus. And put him on trial. Until the hour came. The hour that God the father had ordained for that to happen. As long as it hadn't come. No matter what People wanted, no matter how much their hatred grew, they couldn't lay a finger on them. And that's that's just the sovereignty and the, and the omnipotence, the power of God at work. And then verse 31, here we see the, the division. But many of the crowd believed in him. And they were saying, when the Christ comes, he will not perform more signs than those which this man has, has he? You know, It's amazing to step back and say, here's a man. He's clearly speaking in public. He is saying something that anyone who was uh, versed in the Old Testament scriptures, they understood exactly what he was saying. You would think that there would be one universal reaction of the people. But there were there were these several and they were some of them were totally opposite to one another. But isn't that the way things work now? Isn't it true that you we present and preach the gospel and we have the same division? among the people some of them believe the gospel and are saved some of them are skeptical some of them are totally resisting and and don't want anything to do with God so some things never change in the human in the human condition then look at verse 32 the Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about Jesus and the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to seize him you might have wondered this morning when we read our passage, and the officers come up. Well, who are these officers? Well, we, we, we remember we found out earlier here, Gospel of John, verse 32, that the Pharisees um, were scared. They were horrified that he was this man claiming to be God, which he already had, uh, claiming to be the Messiah. And they understood that if this were true, then then they totally missed the boat. They were totally on the wrong side. And and they could have everything that they've worked for, that they've had control over, go away. Because they won't be the leaders anymore. The Messiah would be. And so for very human, selfish, and hateful reasons, they wanted nothing better than to have this guy out of the way. That was their mentality. Let's send the officers to arrest him. Again, the chief priests and the Pharisees. Remember, that's the power center. Those are the leadership. The chief priests and the Pharisees made up the ruling council that ruled out of Jerusalem. So it was the very center of power that wanted to see him dead. And we see this all the way through. We know that eventually they're going to be successful in that. But what we need to see in the Gospel of John is is this was building for a long time. I mean, remember, we saw saw this in in chapter 2 when he performed miracles. We saw it again in chapter 5. When he had when he had uh, he, he healed a man that was lame for thirty some years and they and they reacted because it was on the Sabbath and he even then he said uh, the equivalent of saying I'm God you know my, God's my father they wanted to kill him then and you keep seeing this and again the hatred grows and and the sense of foreboding gets greater and greater because you understand never n- never has it been any different than there's always people powerful people and often they want to do in people of God this had been happening in the nation of Israel for hundreds of years I mean they 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 wanted to kill most of the prophets that the Lord sent them when they when they needed a prophet because they were going in the total wrong direction they were rebelling against God but arrogance and wanting to hold on to their power and authority caused them to push away to hate and even with the prophets sometimes kill them so we'll see more of this as we continue in the gospel of John particularly in chapters 10 and 11 But again, the main point is that his words, remember, we're going to see in a minute that the officers come back and they say, we've never heard a man speak the way this man speaks. And yet his words, his very words, divided people. Always. We're going to see this division again. um, It's going to I want to lay out just a second here how his words kept doing this. He would say something and there would be a division. Maybe it's in the crowd of people. We're going to see that it was from the Pharisees themselves were divided at one point, which is interesting because it seemed like they were united here in chapter seven. But later on, there's going to be division even among the Pharisees about who he is and whether he was from God. So his words always divide people. He said it himself. He said, listen, I have I have come not to bring peace, but a sword mother against child father in law against daughter in law. His words divide people. We need to keep that in mind when we preach the gospel. We're not always going to have success. I mean, any of us who've done it for, for a number of years know we are definitely not always going to have success, especially in these last days where you know most people's love will grow cold, where their men will be selfish, lovers of money, lovers of self. That's not really fertile ground for the gospel. And so it's no different today. When we speak the words that the Lord has given us to speak as his ambassadors, it's going to be divisive. We're not going to be welcomed. A few yes. I've mentioned this before when I preach the gospel at funerals. You know, you can see the expressions on people's faces, their body language. There's always one or two, though, that comes up and says, thank you for saying that. But it's only one or two. Right. So that there is this division, always seeing when the Lord speaks. And he told us earlier in the gospel of John why this was, he said, those whose whose deeds have been shown to be of God, come to the light, come to him. But so many don't because they know their deeds of evil and they don't want to be exposed. The gospel exposes every one of us as sinners, right? We're all equal as sinners before the cross. Some of us believe that. We, 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 We hear the message and we say, that's true. But many, many others don't want to face that truth about themselves. They'd rather think they're good people, for example, or there's people worse than I am, or I've done enough good deeds. Maybe I'm not perfect, but look at all the people I've helped over my life. Well, that's good, but it's not the gospel. It's not what's going to save you. You're not going to be in heaven having eternal life for your good deeds. Why? Because none of us are sinless. And the standard of God being with them is perfection. And we could never do that. Therefore, we needed a substitute. You see, that's what it is. When we believe in Christ, what happens is is the Lord looks at that and says, no longer am I looking at you and your sins because you've believed in my son whom I gave you. Now, when I look at you, I see my son. Therefore, in the the father's eyes, the moment you believe in Christ, he he sees you as in his righteousness forever. Don't ever forget that. It's so easy to forget that when we're in the day-to-day life, when we do make mistakes, when people put us down. But remember that, that God never changes how he sees you now. You are in his righteousness. You are united to his son. You're his beloved child. But the crowd gets divided. In chapter seven, where we are now, remember the crowd's divided on his identity, who he is. Right. Later on in chapter nine, don't go there now. But in verse 16 of chapter nine, we'll be there soon enough. The Pharisees will be divided on whether he was from God. That's interesting, because at the same time, the the bulk of the Pharisees were going off in this direction of hating him more and more. There were some who believed in him. There were some that says, no, this man is from God. Nicodemus, who we see at the end of chapter 7, was one of them. He went to Jesus by night. Now, this is a Pharisee and a leader of the people. He went to Jesus by night and he says, we know that you are from God because no one could do the things he does if he wasn't. So there were many that thought he was from God but yet the the human sinfulness is so insidious so corrupt that even those who knew he was from God many of them still wanted to kill him that that's the nature of of our human condition in our flesh in our sinfulness that even when we know something is true there's something about our flesh that 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 wants to recoil and rebel against it and it's only by the grace of God that us here sitting today aren't the same way because we used to be right when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he made us alive. we would just like him, but for the grace of God and the, re- the redemption that he has given us. Now later on in chapter 10, the Jews, the Jewish people, that's the, those are the people, particularly the powerful people in the city of Jerusalem. He will talk he would talk about himself, as being the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. And they'd be divided about that. So again and again and again, it was his words. It's his words that caused divisions among the Pharisees, among the crowd, and even among the Jews. I'd like you to turn now to John chapter 7, verse 45. John chapter 7, verse 45. This is going to be the central verse this morning. Sometimes it just happens where you read a passage and, you know, as you know, um, my, my, my method usually is to go verse by verse. Right. But then every once in a while you, you read and there's one statement or one verse that just stands out among all the others. And then 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 then, then it's like, well, now it's time to just focus on that. Let's have a message that just focuses on one thing and that's what we're going to have for the remainder of our service this morning. John 7:45. The officers. These were the ones that were sent specifically under orders to seize and arrest Jesus. They went there with that intention. They were they were members of the of the ruling class tribe, Levites. And yet, look what happens. The officers then came back to the chief priests and the Pharisees. Now, you think about it. This is the seventh day of the feast. They were not in the celebration. They were meeting until. This is how much they wanted to get rid of him. They sent officers to seize him. They waited away from the feast, cowards that they were, until the officers were going to bring him. And then they come and he's not with them. The officers came to the chief priests and the Pharisees and they said to them, the Pharisees and chief priests said to the officers, why did you not bring him? The officers answered, never has a man spoken the way this man speaks. Never has a man spoken the way this man speaks. You know, so we we talk about proofs of Jesus being God's son or the Messiah, the truths about the the, the gospel that he did die for our sins, that he was raised from the dead. As Christians, we what we want to do is provide evidence that these things are true. But you know something? the best evidence about jesus being who he says he is is the evidence that is given by his enemies by his enemies for example with the resurrection okay there's the resurrection is the best attested event in the ancient world and yet the most powerful testimony was that which was was provided by his enemies and so the same thing is true here his enemies are just blown away by what he says and they come back and they say, there's never been a man who speaks the way this man speaks. What powerful testimony. Again, the most credible because it comes from his enemies. Now, I want to give you just a little bit about these officers. They were, they were, they were officers of the temple guard. In other words, they were in the temple day and night, right? And they, and they were at the, disp- at the disposal of the chief priests and the Pharisees. So they owed their jobs to the chief priests and the Pharisees. This was the ruling council they served under. Not only that, but they were drawn from the Levites. The Levites is the priestly tribe. They were also Levites. They were also those who prided themselves on knowing the scriptures, who prided themselves on being a little bit better than everybody. And they would have been most disposed to not believing Jesus. And yet they come back and they say, never has a man spoken the way this man speaks. Now, they they were um, they were disobeying. Think about this. The Sanhedrin, the ruling class, the chief priests and Pharisees. I mean, it would be as if if, if we had give, been given an order, not even us, that, that, the, that, the, that the National Guard had been given an order by the president of the United States to do something, to arrest somebody. And then they come back and say, we can't do it. We can't do it. Why? You should hear the way this man speaks. So they were the they were the um, they would they had disobeyed the rulers and uh, the order, specific orders that they've been given. Why? Don't. Well, because the Sanhedrin were powerful. But when Jesus spoke an even greater power overcame them, even them, they just were unable. They were paralyzed. They couldn't do it. They couldn't seize him. They were, as it were, transfixed by Jesus in the words that he spoke. Now, again, even people that ended up rejecting him, were still transfixed, awed by the things he said. That's a tremendous thing to re- realize. And you've you got to step back and you say, why or how? What was it that he said? How did he say it in a way that people were transfixed by it? Never the same. Some for the good, some for the bad. But never has a man spoken the way this man speaks. Well, how did he speak? What was unique about him that no man had ever spoken the way he did? What was unique about his teaching? What was unique about his words such that even these seasoned officers whose very job was to arrest him could come back instead and say, no other man has ever spoken this way? Not only how did he speak, but even more importantly, why was he able to speak in this way? Why was he able to speak that every word had power behind it? Why? So how did he speak? And why did he? Why was he able to speak in the way that he did? Never has a man spoken the way this man speaks. So the answers to these questions lie in other scriptures in the word of God. And so we're in the Gospels because that's the record of Jesus' teaching in words and deeds. So we're gonna spend some time now in the Gospels and we're gonna begin in the Gospel of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew. If you would turn now to Matthew chapter seven, verse twenty four. This this section from chapters six and seven, but even five of the Gospel of Matthew is what's known as the Sermon on the Mount. It's known as that. It's the Lord's teaching. Primarily to his disciples, but also to the the greater crowd that had gathered. This is the very end of that Sermon on the Mount. Look at Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 24. Matthew 7, 24. Therefore, everyone, notice, who hears these words of mine, never has a man spoken the way this man speaks. Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them, maybe compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house. And yet it did not fall for it had been founded on the rock. By the way, these passages and these parables here our way we apply. This is to realize that the house is our heart, our soul. And he's saying that if you hear my word and act on it, Okay, don't just listen to it, but believe it and live accordingly. Then no matter what happens around you, 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 your soul, your heart will remain strong. The rains fell. These are events of life. The floods came, overwhelming emotions. The winds blew and, and slammed against that house. Maybe people became your enemies. And yet it did not fall. Why? For it had been founded on the rock. And of course, the rock is the Lord Jesus Christ himself unfortunately then there's verse 26 everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand notice same words opposite reactions and this is true of christians some people hear the the word of god And they believe it. And then they they live according to it. If if the Lord says, I want you to forgive people as I have forgiven you, they don't just hear that. Oh, that's a nice statement. You know, maybe I'll put that on my Facebook account this afternoon. They don't just do that. But what they do is, you know what? I'm going to I am going to start doing that. I'm going to actually apply and say, I'm going to start forgiving people, not because they deserve it. They don't. But because my Lord forgave me of everything and he's asked me to forgive others. So that's what I'm going to do or try to do. OK, because it's by it's still by the power of God that we even can do that. Right. But so that's he says those who hear the words of mine, however, and don't act on them and say, I don't care. I'm not going to forgive others. They're like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell. Same things happened. The rain fell. The floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell. And great was its fall. You hear the words of Jesus? They make an impact, but some believe them and act on them and some don't. Verse 28. Here's the summing up. When Jesus has finished these words, never has a man spoken the way this man speaks. The words, how does he speak and why? The crowds were amazed at his teaching. To the same reaction. There, when he spoke, there's always the reaction. They were amazed. You know, earlier in chapter 7, when he came to teach in the temple back in the Gospel of John, they were saying, how can this man teach like this? Always amazed. And it's so the crowds were amazed at his teaching. And notice why. For he was teaching them as having authority. Authority. That's why he was able to speak. He had the authority behind what he said. And as we're going to see, it was the ultimate authority. You know, it, 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 in Jerusalem at the time, the people that they thought they had, had authority to speak would have been the chief priests and the Pharisees. They would have thought that they were the authorities, but they really weren't because there's a much greater authority, even than any of the ones that are established on earth, even legitimate ones. You know, the husband is the head of the wife. That's a legitimate authority. The children are subject to the parents. That's a legitimate authority. We are, we are to be subject to the government and to pay our taxes and all that. That's legitimate. But yet, even those legitimate authorities are superseded by the ultimate one. And, of course, I'm talking about God. He's the ultimate authority. And so if Jesus was teaching as one having authority, then you have to ask your question. Where did he get that authority? He certainly didn't get it from the scribes or the Pharisees. He didn't get it because of his his earthly reputation or his parents. He got it from God. And, you know, here we have it again, these, these opposite reactions. And notice in verse 28, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. But in that crowd were going to be some who would act on this amazing teaching and others who didn't. And that's what mattered. Do you believe what you're hearing? So his teaching was amazing. And again, how? Because he taught the crowds as one having authority. I mean, he said so here. Look, he says, you need to hear my words and act on them. This is really ultimate issues, right? Am I going to be able to have my house stand in the winds and the rain, or is it going to fall apart? Okay, ultimate issues of life. He said, I'm the authority about this. You need to hear my words and act on them. If you were to go back and read the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, you would find again and again that he spoke on the ultimate issues of life, the ultimate issues of life, the questions we all have, right? What? How do I get eternal life? Um, how do I understand the true meaning of the law? What's the difference between having life and being destroyed? How do I know these are false prophets? How do I enter the kingdom of heaven? These are ultimate issues of life that he was speaking. And think about it. He's telling the people that he was the ultimate authority in these matters. You know, not religious practices, not even how how to raise your family, okay, which is good. But he's the ultimate authority on the ultimate issues in life, life and death. False teaching. The kingdom of heaven itself. Authority. you need to listen to every word that I say and act accordingly. Write it down. He spoke with authority. Why was he able to speak the way that he did? Never had a man spoken the way this man speaks because he had authority. Please turn to Mark chapter one, verse 21. Mark chapter one, verse 21. He spoke and people were amazed. And they said, never has a man spoken the way this man speaks. Let's see it in Mark chapter 1. We saw it in Matthew. Let's see it in Mark. Mark chapter 1, verse 21. They went into Capernaum. And immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and began to teach. Hmm. Interesting. right? The synagogue, those who taught were supposed to be authorities. Most of the people who taught, were, you know what they were doing even back then? they were relying on what other people had taught and they were they were going to try to pick and choose and say well you know based on rabbi hillel he said this about this scripture you know and that goes on today you know there 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 there, there's there's pastor teaching going on today and that's really what it is it's like they they bring in what they call commentaries or they kind of have a guru you know like there's this one person that everybody needs to needs to you know, take his teaching and teach it because he's the greatest. You know, we have that going on little popes <laughs> in the evangelical church community. You know, that's what they were doing. But Jesus didn't do that. Verse 21, they went into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and began to teach. And there we have it again in verse 22. They were amazed at his teaching. Never has a man spoken the way this man speaks. Why would they amazed For he was teaching them as one having authority and not as the scribes. See, the scribes were those who considered themselves to be experts on the scriptures. At this point in the history of the nation of Israel, not only did they have to be uh, experts on the scriptures, they also needed to be experts on the traditions, on, on all of the things that had been written about these scriptures from all of the rabbis and so forth. By the way, that was their undoing. Okay, the idea somehow that the writings of man are on a par with the scriptures. When you see that you need to run away from that because that's the undoing of so many preachers and so forth. I mean, if you think in its ultimate manifestation, you take, for example, the Mormons. Well, what did they do? What they said was, yeah, the Bible's fine you know, it says Jesus is God, and we don't think so. We have this other book, the Book of Mormon, written by men, and we're going to use both of those. Right. The Catholic Church does that. You know, they say, well, we use the Bible occasionally, but we also have the catechism. And we think that's just as important. You know, be careful. Never allow that to happen. The word of God has to be supreme. It has to be the center of church life, of preaching and, and so forth. Let's continue. So they recognized he had his own authority. They may not be sure where it came from, but you couldn't miss it. Verse 23. Just then there was a man in their synagogue. Watch this. We're going to see an incredible demonstration of what I, what he just said. What was just said about him. Just then there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, saying, what business do we have with each other? Jesus of Nazareth. This is the unclean spirit talking. I, I dare say if this happens this morning, you know, it's it'd be I mean, it would be very intimidating wouldn't it? when somebody comes in and you can see that he's totally disturbed. And then you hear, what business do we have with each other? You have come. You come to destroy us. Right. But he's talking to Jesus. He's saying, have you come to destroy us, Jesus of Nazareth? I notice when he says next, I know who you are. The Holy One of God. You see, why was Jesus able to teach with authority? Because even the demons knew that he's the Holy One of God. They already knew thing something about Jesus that 99% of the people at that time, including most of the people in the synagogue, refused to accept. They refused to accept this basic truth that he is God in the flesh. And and again, I find it amazing. Again, the testimony of the enemies, the demons. I mean, how could you get a worse enemy of the Lord than the demons? Yet even they testify to who he is. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him. And he said, be quiet and come out of him. Notice two commands, two commands to the demon, throwing him into convulsions. This is what the demon was doing on his way out. The unclean spirit cried out with a loud voice and came out of him. Are you kidding me? I mean, they had seen people with demons. They had never seen somebody by his words chase that demon away. Wow. wow. By the way, um, if you look at the scriptures, the demons were prominent when Jesus was walking the earth in his ministry. And and the more I see that, the more I realize that that was true because the Lord allowed it. You know. So we're not looking for demons around every corner now. You see, they were allowed to manifest themselves the way they did for the glory of God so that Jesus could come and do what he did. You know, it's the same thing he said. You know, the apostles, one time they saw this man who was blind from birth, and they said to him, who sinned? Him or his parents? You know, who sinned? Him or his parents? By the way, don't we do the same thing? We see somebody who's blind or unemployed or down in his luck or drinks too much, and we always say, Who sinned, right? We always ask that question. That's not what the Lord said. What did he say? He says, no, no, no. He's this way so that the glory of God can be revealed. In other words, the the sick are there, especially in the ministry of Jesus, so that he can heal them, so that people can see the power of God. And it's the same thing here. Again, verse 26, throwing him into convulsions on his way out, the unclean spirit cried with a loud voice that came out of him. Twenty seven. They were all amazed. I think so. I think we all would be amazed if we saw that. Now, he had just said that, they just said that he's the one teaching with authority. But now we see his words actually have power, enough power so that a demon would come out of a man. They were all amazed. And yet notice, they debated among themselves. (laughs) Still, you see this division. They had just seen this. And yet still there's a debate. What is this? Why is this happening? A new teaching with authority. Notice, notice the authority here. In other words, he didn't, he didn't just teach that way. But when he spoke, things happen. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. That's authority. Who can do that? God can only do that. Right? What did that mean? It meant that Jesus is God. Or at the very least, he was sent by God with this amazing ability but such that his word, you know, you think about that. And um, I don't know if they if any of them thought about this, but in the very beginning of the book of Genesis, we find out that everything was created, right? By what? The word of God, right? In the gospel of John, the very first verse, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The words of God are very powerful, all of them. You know, that's why as, as I've sort of matured, In in my teaching, I don't know if you notice this, but there's less and less and less of me or even commentary. There's nothing as powerful as simply hearing the words of God. All right. So again, verse 27, they were all amazed so that they debated among themselves. Who is this? A new teaching with authority. There's that word again. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. Hmm. He must have been thinking at that time, boy. I wish humans were like demons, <laughs> because you know he speaks, commands humans, and they very often don't obey him. It's amazing to think about that. You know, again, it's just I don't I'll overthink it. But you know, why is that? You know, how is that that the demons obey him? By the way, the the very seas obey him. Sorry. I did the very thing I tell you not to do. But see, I've been using this as a clock. That clock was broken. Now it's fixed. i got to stop doing that. Yeah. See, we all obey. We all obey this, don't we? <laughs> Let me turn this off. Yeah. Oh, it is? Oh, brother. You know, it's funny. We obey traffic lights, but we don't obey the authorities that God has put in our lives. Right? Anyway. Now, what happens? He commands unclean spirits. They obey him. Immediately, the news about him spread everywhere into all the surrounding district of Galilee. They were amazed at his teaching. Why? Because he taught them as one having authority. What kind of authority? He was the authority on the scriptures. The scribes thought that they were. The priests thought that they were. The Pharisees definitely thought that they were. None of them were. He's the authority on the scriptures. Never forget that. Every word that comes out of the mouth of the Lord, right? He's the authority. The, the fact is that every word in the Bible is, as it says, God breathed. So, so when we talk about the authority on the scriptures today, what does that mean for us? It means the scriptures will interpret themselves that that we don't need to come up with theories or come up with heavy revelations no all we have to do is listen to what the scriptures say about another scripture even if we're confused about it so often remember what do i say if you're not certain about a particular passage what do you do check out the neighborhood invariably you'll find the answer somewhere right around the passage that you cannot understand he spoke not only was the authority on the scriptures he speaks to a demon As one even having authority over the demons. Be quiet. And come out of that man. And the demon obeyed him. Never has a man spoken the way that this man speaks. And the demon knew him. He said Jesus was the Holy One of God. What does this mean? It means the demon recognized the authority of Jesus. He knew that Jesus had the authority to command him. Because he was the Holy One of God. He speaks as God and in the power of God. Okay, now let's head over. We've seen some, We've seen a passage in Matthew that shows the authority of the Lord and he speaks. We've seen the passage here in, in Mark. Now we're going to go back to the Gospel of John. We're going to go to the very, very beginning of the Gospel of John. Never has a man spoken the way this man speaks. How did he speak and why was he able to speak that way? Look at John chapter 1 verse 1. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Later on in chapter 1 of the Gospel of John, it will say, and the Word became flesh. And then that mean? it meant God, the Son of God, the Word from before eternity, if I could put it there, before we understand anything about time, was always with God. And the word was God. By the way, this isn't our subject, but there's a very powerful statement about the Trinity, isn't it? A perfect way of describing the Son of God. In the beginning was the word. All right. It's amazing that that the Son of God is identified as the word. Now we start to see, well, how come he has such authority in what he says? How come a man has never spoken when this man speaks? Because never before has God been in the flesh. That's why. The beginning was the word, the son of God, and the word was with God. Now, if you're with somebody, that means you're separate. And yet the word was God. Can you see how that's the Trinity coming into view, or at least the father and the son? He was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being through him. Think about that. All things came into being through the word of God, as we've seen all the way back in Genesis. And apart from him, the word nothing came into being that has come into being you want to know why Jesus had the authority over demons because he created them it's hard to believe that but he did all things have come into being now i'm not saying that that he he created them as these demons right he created them all by the way the angels were all created and then there was a fall okay so the, the, anyway that's another subject but that's why he was he had authority over everything why could he why could he In the book of Exodus, part the sea, the Red Sea, because he created the Red Sea as authority over everything. Why was it when the disciples were on the Lake of Galilee and they were drowning and there's a huge storm that he could walk on water and then say, stop? And the wind and the seas obeyed him because he created the wind and the seas. All things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness does not comprehend it. The words of Jesus were words of authority, power, and life. Why? Because he, Jesus, is the word. He is the word. The very word that created the universe was embodied in the person of Jesus, God in the flesh. Go to chapter 3 of the Gospel of John. Let's see how how it's put here in chapter three. John chapter three verse thirty one. At this point in chapter three, John the writer is now looking back at what he's described, and this, in chapter three is that meeting by night with Nicodemus. Talks about you must be born again. That whole passage. Then you have the picture of Jesus having his disciples baptized then at the end and then john the baptist says i must decrease he must increase and then then the end john comes on the scene the writer now not john the baptist and this is what he says this is his explanation he who comes from above is above all see it's the same thing isn't it only now he's focused on the person of jesus christ he who comes from above the only man who ever came from above Every other man was born. Now you say Jesus was born. Yes, he was in his humanity, but in his deity, he existed forever. And he was sent by God. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is from the earth and speaks of the earth. That's what human beings can do. We're earthbound. We can speak about earthly things, but God speaks about heavenly things. He who comes from heaven is above all. Notice this. What he has seen, how could Jesus speak the words that he did such that never has a man spoken this way? Because what he has seen and heard, what he has seen and heard, of that he testifies. Now, what did he, had he seen and heard in the context? The heavens. <laughs> he had seen and he heard, seen the heavenly things. He'd seen his father. He had seen those things that no man on earth has ever seen. That's how he spoke with authority. That's how he could say the things that he did. And yet, Look at the the last part of verse 32. And no one receives his testimony. God comes down in the form, having human flesh, testifies about the things of God, that God had sent him, and the things that God had sent him to say. And then almost everybody rejected that testimony. He who has received, who did receive his testimony, by the way, those are believers, heard the testimony and believed it, has set his seal to this. What is that saying? Now, we're witnesses that God is true. Every word that comes from the mouth of God is the absolute truth. Verse 33, he who has received his testimony has set his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent, this is Jesus. How could he speak with such authority? How, why is it that never has a man spoken the way this man speaks? What was it about his words? Notice, he whom God has sent speaks the words of God. That's why he's no ordinary man. And then look at the rest of that. He gives the spirit. God, the father gave the spirit to Christ without measure. That's how he could speak with power and authority. The father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. There's that total night and day difference. Two people hear the same message. One believes it, the other doesn't. One has a house that is on the rocks, one has the house on sand. Same words, but very different responses. That's why Jesus spoke with such authority, because he testified on basis of what he had seen and heard in heaven, where he came from. His words had power. Why? His words had power because he spoke the words of God who sent him. By the way, that's true of you today. Now, you're not Jesus. You're not God in the flesh, right? You're not going to be able to speak to demons and they obey you. However, however, don't we have the words of God? We sure do. The Bible, every time we come together, we hear the words of God. Now, I'm not God. I'm not Jesus, but I have the words of God. There's power in the word itself. This is the thing you need to understand when you preach the gospel. It's it's not your personality that's going to win the day. It's not how forcefully you say something. Or your testimony. What is it? The power is in the word. The power is in the word of the gospel. Right? That we're all born sinners. And that Jesus came and he died for our sins. And he was buried. And he was raised from the dead. And whoever simply believes that has eternal life. That's the power. It's in the words. You don't have to embellish them. You don't have to add anything to them. You don't have to say ask Jesus in your heart. You don't have to say repent of your sins. Because that's not the gospel. The power is in the word. He spoke the words of God who sent him. Not only that, but his words were convicting. What does that mean? It meant they got to the heart of the matter. Like the, Why? Because the spirit had been given to him. His words were convicting because his father gave him the spirit abundantly. It's the spirit who convicts. It's another reason why you want to just give people the gospel straight out. It's not your job, actually, to convince them. That's the spirit who will do that. If, if the person is open-minded and wants to hear what God has to say about ultimate things and they hear it and they, they believe it, guess who conv- has convicted them ahead of that? The Holy Spirit, right? That's why these words that Jesus spoke, no man had ever spoken that way before. He testified about the ultimate matters, didn't he? Eternal life and the wrath of God. As the one hadn't been sent by God and endowed with the spirit. Please turn to John chapter 40. John chapter, there is no John chapter 4. John chapter 4, verse 40. He spoke with conviction. His words convicted people. Look at John chapter 4, verse 40. Now we have the Samaritans. Samaritans were the enemies of the Jews at that time. We had that woman at the well where Jesus said, I have water. If you drink it, you'll never thirst again. She had said to him, there'll be a Messiah that will come and he will explain everything to us. And he just looked at her and said, I am. I am the Messiah. Now, at the end of this encounter, then he was taken by the Samaritans and they said, please stay. And he spoke to them. Look at look at John chapter four, verse 40. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus. They were asking him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Many more believed. Why? Does it say here? Because of the great miracles that he performed. He performed lots of miracles, and it helps us to realize he is who he is. But that wasn't. That's not what what convicted people. What was it? Because of his word. Never had a man spoken the way he spoke, and they were saying to the woman, "It's no longer because of what you said." that we believe for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this one who has spoken in a way that no man had ever spoken before we now know that he's the savior of the world savior of the world he spoke with such conviction that even the samaritans who by the way only accepted the first five books of the old testament you know and they didn't worship in jerusalem I mean, they had nothing going for them. They had pretty much rejected most of the, what was going on in the Jewish religion at the time. Yet even they heard his words and were convinced that he was the savior of the world. Never has a man spoken the way this man speaks. Go to John chapter 6, verse 63. John six 63. We're just doing a survey. Some of the passages that explain how he spoke and why it was that he spoke in a way that he did look at john chapter 6 starting in verse 63 it is the spirit who gives life the flesh profits nothing the words that i have spoke why did his words have power because the words that i have spoken to you are spirit and are life in the beginning was the word and the word was with god In him was life. The words I, the words now, I want you to understand this. The words that he speaks themselves are spirit and they are life. That's why. Then verse 64, here we go again. There are some of you do not believe for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were, who did not believe and who it was that would betray him from the beginning. He knew all this. And he was saying, for this reason, I've said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the father. But he said, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. What a bold statement. That's an an amazing statement. Think about the power with which he uttered those words. The very words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. The words that I say are spirit and life. Never had a man spoken the way this man speaks. Let's continue in verse 66. As a result of this, as a result of what? The words that he spoke. Notice, notice this, many of his disciples withdrew. These aren't his enemies here. These are his disciples. The people have been following him and were not walking with him anymore because of what he said. They convicted them, but they rejected it. Jesus said to the 12, the ones that remained, you do not want to go away also, do you? So Simon Peter answered him, but notice what he said. This was the reason why he would never go away from Jesus. Lord, to whom will we go? You have words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the, listen to this now, the Holy One of God. Does that sound familiar? The Holy One of God. Why? Because that's what the demon said right away. You see, over time, the the, 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 the apostles came to understand that he was the Holy One of God. And it was a process. That's the nature of, of human nature. We Humans naturally are skeptical. Humans don't want to come to terms with what the Lord is opening up them to see about themselves. Or more importantly, to understand that none are righteous and that we can't do anything about it and that Jesus is our our only savior. They had come to know that, though. You are the Holy One of God. Jesus and only Jesus has the words of eternal life. People want to say that Christians are narrow. And the answer is, you bet we are. You bet. Jesus said he is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And no one comes to the father except through Jesus. Jesus and only Jesus has the words of eternal life. Just mark that down. No, no, no guru. No yoga, yogi. Nobody else has the words of life. They'll tell you they do, but they don't. Only Jesus has the words of eternal life. And Peter had come to know that. Why? He has the words. That's how he speaks. Why did he know that? Because Jesus is the Holy One of God. It all comes down to who he is. Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus is the word of God. In him is life itself. And that's how the words that he spoke were words of eternal life. Okay, as we close, I want you to see one more passage. And I want you to see the authority and the power of what Jesus has to say. And here we're going to look at two short words that he said. And he uttered them in the Garden of Gethsemane. Look at John chapter 18, verse 3. John 18, 3. He spoke. And they were were words of eternal life. They were spirit and they were life. After all, he had spoken the earth and the world into existence. He had said, let there be light. And there was light. And now let's look now. Now in his humanity, he's, he has been betrayed by one of the 12, Judas. He has this whole cohort of Roman soldiers. By the way, do you know how big a Roman cohort was? 480 people, soldiers, 480 soldiers came to arrest him. He'd, he'd been speaking in the temple and no, and nobody ever arrested them. They didn't need to send 480. Although, the power of God is such that maybe they did. Let's look at the passage. John chapter 18, verse 3. Ju- Judas then, having received the Roman cohort, 480 soldiers, and officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees. We ran into them earlier today. They've changed their tune now. They came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. So Jesus, knowing all the things that were coming up, can you imagine being Jesus and knowing from the outset who would believe in him and who wouldn't? Knowing from the outset that one of the ones he had chosen would be the one who betray him? Knowing in the Garden of Gethsemane all the things that were going to happen to him, all the beatings and the illegal trials and the people spitting on him and putting a crown of thorns on his head. He knew going to the cross and having, being nailed to the cross. He knew all that was about to happen one day away. Jesus, knowing all the things that were coming to, upon him, still went forth and said to them, whom do you speak, seek? Whom do you seek? They answered, Jesus, the Nazarene. And he said two words to them. He said, it, it, he said, I am. There's no he, by the way. He said, ego, I in the Greek. That means I am. That's the name of Yahweh. I am. And what happened? Then he said to them, I am he. And Judas also, who was betraying them, standing with them. But when he said to them, I am, Ego, I me, they all drew back and fell to the ground. 500 soldiers fell to the ground. Based on what? Did, did Jesus have some artillery in the hills that was firing down on the 400, five, 480? No. Did, did Jesus have people that were in the crowd that were rising up against the soldiers? No. What did he have his word two words felled over 500 people never has a man spoken the way this man speaks let's close in prayer heavenly father help us to cherish your word the same way that 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 the apostles ultimately did except for judas based on the fact that Jesus is the authority, that no one speaks like he does. He is the word. Help us to cherish and honor every word that comes out of your mouth. Father, today we do want to pray for the saints, for our brothers and sisters in Christ. We want to pray especially for those who are afflicted right now, who are sick, who have been abandoned, who are, who are being persecuted, especially in other countries. We, we wanna pray, Father, for those who have lost loved ones recently. We wanna pray for anybody who's having turmoil in the inner man, in the heart. We pray that you would heal and that you would build up, and most importantly, Father, that the, your peace that surpasses understanding would guide their hearts. We also, Father, today, Help us to preach the simplicity of the gospel as we leave that every person, every human being was born dead in our trespasses and sins. Unable to do anything to please you or come back to you. We'd all fallen short of your glory. So what did you do? You sent your precious son, our Lord Jesus Christ. He came and he he came and he died in our place. We should have died. He died for us. And he was buried. And on the third day, he raised him from the dead. So that all could see who he was finally. And and not only that, but that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. But not only eternal life, but his resurrection, his very resurrection says that whoever believes in him will be justified forever. That you will always see that person from the moment they believe on as standing in your righteousness. So that when you look at them, you see your son. Father, again, we thank you for all these things, and we just ask for your intercession by the Lord on the problems that we're having. We want, again, just praise you for who you are. You're God. You're the all-powerful. You're righteous, and you're just, and yet you're loving and forgiving. You have life. You are life. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. Before you, just, you, I dismiss you today. Just remember, we have Bible study every Thursday. It's on. It, we have it in person for those who want to come here, and also we have it on Skype, like we had the message this morning. We start at 6:30 in the evening. We're studying the book of Isaiah, and that's about it. Some people actually. Let me just mention this. Some people ask about our giving policy. We don't. We don't have a collection. We never do. Um, we, As a matter of fact, when, when, when people first come, we actually really would prefer they don't give yet. Here's why. Because the idea of giving is as you become aware of opportunity that's in a particular ministry or help that somebody's need because of the word of God, because of knowing more who Jesus is and God is that he's a free giver, then the, then the spirit guides you and, and points out out of your surplus. This is the grace of God. He doesn't say, I want you to take what you needed and give it to the church or give it to other people. He says, I'm going to bless you financially. And when I do that, I'm going to request that you provide some of that um, to support the preaching of the word or support missionaries or even people in the church who are in need. So we don't collect collections. We definitely don't tithe. All right. It's just to be a, a matter of grace on your part because that's how God gives. Okay, that's it. You guys are dismissed. Have a great day and don't ask me about the NFL. I come from New England. That's enough you need to know this morning. That's crazy. They say it was around here.